trending questions to butter our election coverage. This week, Mac is gone, and I'm all alone, and there's definitely no guests, so don't stick around until after the rapid fire to hear Elise Stolte talk about using questions to guide better election coverage. It'll just be me doing bad jokes for 30 minutes. Hi, I'm Troy. It's so quiet in here. I guess I'll be speaking municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 98. Business Daddy is off on a vacation with his family, getting some much-needed R&R. So I am here guiding the ship, and you are my captive audience. This ship is a cruise liner, and boy, do we have COVID. So come quarantine with me in the rapid-fire segment. Limousine companies are taking to the airwaves this week to let Edmontonians know about the worst COVID-related struggle that citizens had probably overlooked. With struggles across the industry as grads and weddings are cancelled, limo drivers are telling residents that if the city doesn't cut them a break, the next time someone wants to go somewhere, they might have to do it in a regular-sized car. The somber news comes as the city's vehicle licensing fees come due. The operator of Protocol Limousines told Global News that he doesn't feel that the city is treating limo companies like citizens due to the city's unwillingness to waive licensing fees entirely, and that could lead to some very dire consequences. For example, a citizen of Edmonton whose grace period on tax payment ended on September 1st might have to hail a car that's yellow in color instead of black in color. We could not reach the city of Edmonton for comment as we assume they've entered into the Situation Room to try and prevent the upcoming apocalypse. Nearly 100 grade 10 students from Ross Shepherd High School are self-isolating after that hot mess from third period went and yeeted their mask into the dumpster before basically painting the whole room in phlegm. It's a big yikes from basically everyone involved, but Loki, who didn't know that this was coming, especially after what happened at the party at Stacy's house after grade 8 grad? A little sus how long it took Hinshaw to spill the tea, but hey, I'm not going to throw shade. If she's finna stan Kenny until we all sars up a second wave, then I ain't shook. I just got a shirt with her face on it to burn. A U.S. border closed to non-essential travel has caused yet another delay in the implementation of the smart fare system for Edmonton Transit. While the system was supposed to be fully rolled out in 2020, the U.S.-based company tasked with installation has said that with the border being closed, their hands are tied and work cannot continue. Said Mayor Don Iveson, quote, We as the city of Edmonton must model behavior and stop all non-essential travel. And geez, I can't think of anything less essential than flying people out here just so we can collectively pretend that this thing that's what, eight years overdue now will finally get done? End quote. People wishing to take transit are required to pay fares again, and ETS has issued a helpful notice reminding patrons that while fares are cash only, the fare box is made of plexiglass, which is what protects all our frontline workers in stores and the service desks at hospitals. All transit riders are reminded that as long as they smear all the COVID on their money before placing it in the fare box, the plexiglass will keep everyone safe. Speaking Municipally is a part of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported, and this episode is brought to you by the inaugural Yeg Podfest, presented by the Edmonton Community Foundation, in partnership with the Alberta Podcast Network and LitFest, Canada's nonfiction festival. Running October 1st through 3rd, the festival will be held entirely online this year, so anyone can experience it. Events will include masterclasses with experts, panel discussions, feature interviews, and more. And some of APN's podcasters will be part of these events with guests from around the world. To check out the full lineup, head to yegpodfest.ca. 
So we're going to start off the episode by getting rid of this whole solo endeavor that I've taken to at the start of the episode this week. We've got a guest on this week, just back from a long year-long sabbatical in Switzerland. You may have remembered her from on the podcast talked about basically every week when she was a city columnist, writing some pretty good takes. Some exciting news we had mentioned in previous weeks that Taproot was going to amp up our election coverage and do a bit better than typical journalism orgs have done in the past in Edmonton. And Elise is going to play a pretty big role in that. So we'll get to learn all about the people's agenda, which Taproot is talking about. Elise, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. You make it sound very academic calling it a sabbatical. <laughs> it, was, you know, it was a leave of absence. I was hanging out in Switzerland. Well, I mean, you were experiencing culture and you were seeing the differences between Edmonton's built form and other countries built form. So that's as much research as anything. Yes, for sure. I teased something off the top about the people's agenda and how we're going to do journalism better. So if you could give me in a nutshell, what are you coming on to do with Taproot and how are we going to single-handedly fix journalism? <laughs> well, I wouldn't say I'm coming on to Taproot. I am I've accepted a position to be a voluntary advisory uh, member of their steering committee, um, and I'm very excited about that. I'm At the same time, I'm back at, at Post Media, and I'll be doing one column a week there and spending the rest of my time um, working on engagement projects there, trying to help um, that newsroom also learn how to better connect with the, with the community. And I'm really excited about the Taproot project I've been involved in that one uh, because I got the opportunity to do some training with Karen Unland. Jay Rosen was working with a group called Harkin out of the United States. They got some funding to do training for U.S.-based media to help them put together a plan to better cover the U.S. election in November. So the idea is that if you deliberately go out to your community you ask them what they want covered, you listen to what they respond, not just do some data fancy analytics on it, but really read and gather and think about it, and then create the feedback loop to reconnect with them, tell them what you've heard, and use those suggestions to focus your coverage, then that's going to help make better coverage overall, because you won't be um, pulled off to just talking about what the candidates want to talk. You won't be just focused on the horse race and on all the, the scandals that may or may not have a bigger impact on the election. You'll be, as much as possible, rooted in what your community actually wants to hear. Um, and it's been fun because we just had a, a call six weeks after our training. We had a call back with the cohort that we were with um, to, to see, and you can already see some of the stuff that they're starting to produce, and they're getting really good feedback on it, like Vox is doing this. They got 10,000 responses to their question on what you think the candidate should be covering. So I think it's a really good model because it just forces that discipline of connecting with your community and listening and using that to focus coverage. I had looked briefly at Election SOS. This is the uh, training course that you were talking about. And it did seem, at least to me, that it had a bit of a US focus because there is a Upcoming election in the U.S., I think. Uh, don't hold me to that. <laughs> yeah. With how rambunctious the U.S. election can tend to get, I imagine the coverage of something like that might be a little bit different and the tools you might have to use might be a little different than what you have in Canada. Was there anything that you had to adapt to a Canadian market that might not apply or do the principles sort of map one-to-one -to, -one to our sort of calm municipal elections? I think the principle, like you say, is what counts. 
Because it's not about technology. It's not about the way that you approach people. You have to approach people where they are and obviously have to do that virtually now. But it's really about learning to listen and learning how to create authentic relationships between the newsroom and the community. And so, sure, the U.S. election could be a crazy one. (laughs) The Edmonton municipal election may have its own elements of craziness. But the same, all the same principles apply, and they apply outside of the election framework as well, right? Like, there's a lot of anxiety happening around schooling right now. Um, so that's that's going to be our first topic at, at the journal for to apply the same lens to, is how can we connect with people, listen honestly, have a way to, to hear them in a safe space where they feel they can talk, and then keep circling back so they can hear from us like reflecting back what we've heard, what our next steps are, how else they can get involved and have that kind of continual feedback loop to strengthen our coverage and hopefully reduce the polarization. And I mean, I don't think we're going to fix the fury and anxiety because that's beyond me. But hopefully if if there's a way that we can be better connected with the community, then I think we're better positioned to fulfill our role as journalists, which is to be that kind of connective tissue that helps these bigger discussions happen and hopefully move towards a collective solution. So you provided me with a segue right off the top, which I appreciate and makes my job so much easier. You're back at the journal and you want to apply some of these principles to your work there as well. You mentioned education as going to be your first section that you're tackling this with. What's that going to look like? Because when you subscribe to the Edmonton Journal, you get a paper on your doorstep. It's a very one unidirectional flow of information. How is it going to look like when you flip that equation and get more feedback and get people more involved in the process? Mm -hmm. I think we've already seen how it can look like in a limited way. Um, Like when I was covering City Hall, we were using Twitter and Facebook to do that. Uh, Facebook was especially good because it allowed for those more in-depth conversations to slowly grow over a day or two. And it worked really well. Like I could post an idea. This is what I'm thinking. This is what I've just seen. What do you guys think about it? And throw out a question. And it was incredible the number of people who would come forward with these really telling anecdotes and succinctly put their perspectives out there. And you'd, as a reporter, sitting down and reading that was wonderful. My stories were way stronger because I could appreciate the different perspectives and draw on many people's lived experiences to communicate what this really meant to people. But Facebook is totally limited, right? Somebody else's algorithm, somebody else is controlling that relationship. And it's very public. Not everybody can post on Facebook. They can't because of their work or because of whatever situation. Lots of people just don't like posting publicly. So will this be more of a private survey that's shared through Facebook, but not on Facebook and then a mailing list? That, I think that'll probably be how it starts for education. But if we were doing a different, uh, a different topic and we had a different community that really wanted to be engaged on that, um, then it would have to have a different technology to reach them, right? If it was high school students, well, I'd probably have to learn TikTok. I don't know. <laughs> you know I, I, I don't know. You'd have, to, you'd have to walk down that road, right? Um, it, what matters is that you're meeting people at where they're at and you're listening to them honestly and connecting with them and being their reporter, right? It's that genuine, honest relationship that technology allows us to to come back to, right? I think the news media have gone through incredible change over 
even the time that I've been involved, which is a dozen years or so. And the newsrooms have shrunk a lot. And so we don't have as much time just to sit down one-on-one with people and talk. But there was no golden era back then either. People have to more and less been able to connect with their communities. And I think if we really prioritize this and we know that this is important and we can see how it makes our reporting better uh, and we can learn to do this at scale so that we really can connect with everybody in the community who wants to connect with us, then we're going to find a good path forward, not just for the business side, which is totally important, but also for society so we can play that really important role in society having conversations with itself. I'm going to ask the metrics question because it sort of begs to be asked with something like this. How do you know if you've succeeded with something like this? How do you know if you've reached someone if you're not hearing from them? And how do you know if your engagement has satisfied the curiosity of readers? What's the benchmark for success here? What's a win? I just spent yesterday like typing this all out and and like I learned from the class that I was able to take with Karen as well. And okay, how do we structure this? What are our metrics? We've got to keep them simple. We just have to have a few to track, but we've got to know if we're succeeding, right? And we have to have a deadline. So, I mean, one of our metrics is going to be, we have a target in mind of how many people we'd like to reach on this first one. But of course, that's different for the different communities that you're trying to reach, because I don't know how many people want to be engaged. I, I hope quite a few, but I don't actually know. I think another way that you know is you try to look at the the numbers behind the scenes to understand whether people are connecting with what you do. Like, are they sharing it out? Are they spending more time with it? Are they talking about it? And also, what are they saying, right? That's not a numbers metric, but I think it's really important. I think when I was doing the the, um, work on Facebook, I got a lot of good feedback about it and nuanced feedback and people who just take time to out of their days, just sit down and write me a note, uh, private message me about what it meant in their lives. So that's another one of my metrics. I'm just going to screen capture that and put it in a file because, you know, nothing, it's not like everything has to be a number. Sometimes you just, you do the best you can and you try to understand what's happening. You mentioned earlier that you're writing one column a week for the journal now, um, which will be a bit of a change from previous. And I know in your absence, Keith Jarine has taken up the sort of city columnist role. He's covering the city politics beat now. What's your role going to look like at the journal going forward? Are we going to have multiple people covering City Hall? Are you going to be a floater? We need to know what's going to happen for the election, and we need all the details right now. Well, first of all, um, there are always way more stories to cover than there's ever for people to cover it. I'm in no way challenged by Keith being there. That was great. I totally support Keith. But the other sad news is that Keith is not going to be here for this um, fall. He's not coming back until the spring because he's taken a fellowship um, out at Toronto, uh, the Massey Hall Fellowship, which means he gets to step aside and just spend time learning, hanging out with grad students. You should follow up with him to find out how cool that is <laughs> uh, so that I'm not speaking on his behalf. Um, but yeah, he's going to be away for that time. He comes back in time for the election though. So that'll be great. So you're writing one column a week and I assume spending a lot of the other time focusing on facilitating this conversation. Is the column going to be like we've seen before? They're going to be great. They're just going to be great. <laughs> Are we expecting you have the conversations throughout the week and then you synthesize it and you put out a column or are we going to see more micro stories and like 
incremental development to stories throughout the week? Um, I think the column will be separate from the engagement project. Okay. The the engagement project will be um, focused on the topic, um, which to start is going to be education, and it'll be driven by what we hear. So when we ask people what their concern is, like it's not associated with just the back to school because there was so much craziness and so much uncertainty there and things that just nobody could answer. We're going to be asking the question of, okay, what's your What's on your mind right now? What are what are the biggest questions you have now? And then hearing people when they write back to us about that, then reading through that, trying to, to, to make some trends and synthesize and see what's really on people's minds, and then reflecting that back to them and asking more questions about that. In, in the past, I've done Facebook Live sessions with different experts. So if we have an opportunity to do that, I would, I'd love to invite the people who had asked those questions to actually be able to participate in that uh, call, whatever form that takes. Um, and just, yeah, be able to involve people in the news process as much as they want to be and publishing the results of those, not saving it up to the very end, but yeah, publishing as we go and sharing the questions we're able to answer and the solutions we're able to explore together and just some good coverage. So what you're doing there sounds a lot like what Taproot is bringing you to... I helped Karen put the project together because I had the opportunity to take the training with her. Mm -hmm. Um, And so being able to sit on the steering committee with some other community members, I'm really excited about it because it'll let me still learn from the project. And of course, more will be joining the steering committee. As you mentioned, you are the only announced one thus far because news broke. We're recording this Thursday late night and, you know... In typical speaking municipally fashion, they just hand me stuff last minute and say, talk about it. <laughs> no, the real reason why you're recording it right now is because Karen and I were told we really need to put dates on our roadmap because <laughs> that is a good discipline. And so Karen put down dates and she is very disciplined. And this is exactly the date that it was supposed to be announced on the podcast. It was always meant to be. A wizard arrives precisely when he means to. Uh, so the people's agenda is roughly the citizen's agenda. It's an analog to the training course. And essentially it is, if I'm getting this right, we're just asking people what they want to hear about and then answering those questions. Is that roughly in a nutshell, the same thing? I'd say sort of, because it's not a simple question answer, right? Mm -hmm. It's deeper than that. You're trying to pull out themes, like hopefully you'll hear from hundreds of people and you'll be, you won't just run those through some kind of analytics thing. It's, there's no software that can do this. It's really just an art where sometimes you'll hear something from somebody and you won't quite understand it. You'll send a couple questions back until you really understand what their focus is. And then you'll go on to the next. And slowly, because the human brain is wonderfully complex, you start pulling out these themes and understand, okay, these are the five things that people are really focused on. And then those are more, you're asking questions, but what you're getting back is, you know, a little window into somebody's heart and you can reflect that back to them, analyze it, and then base your coverage on that, but not in a simple question answer way. So, I mean, if somebody says taxes, why taxes? What is it that is uh, bothering you about that? And then the reporter who um, would get that, I mean, taxes is a really simple, easy one, three letters, Mm -hmm. but It'll be more complex than that. And then the reporter does their work to dig deep and understand the full complexity of the issue around taxes and what they're used for and um, and then does some great, really relevant coverage from that. And ultimately, you're going to be putting together a, um, 
a voter's guide that would, again, follow those five or six or whatever it is themes that people are focused on. It sounds great in theory, uh, but as always the cynic that I am, what I predict, knowing with how online Twitter interactions tend to go in Edmonton, you might get the same themes you'd typically expect. You know, you're always going to hear about photo radar. You're always going to hear about taxes. You're always going to hear about potholes. How do you prevent tired tropes from becoming the themes that everyone just repeats? How do you really suss out that deep-seated curiosity and the questions that really need to be answered? I have the feeling that you live on Twitter and that has affected your level of cynicism. No comment? (laughs) It's a fair point uh, and you're probably right about that. You know, it's possible that I'm just so cynical that I'm drawn to Twitter. I think people are uh, much more nuanced and engaged and intelligent than some of the Twitter battles would portray them as. I've got some faith in this. Okay, so accepting that people ask nuanced questions and have, they aren't buying into the tired tropes that we've heard of. How do you think this changes how we cover elections? Because normally, the way we cover elections in Edmonton is news orgs will basically spit out 13 ward profiles, 12 wards and a mayoral thing. And they'll say, these are some of the key issues. And here is a candidate response form for each of the issues in this ward. I get the sense where we want to sort of flip that equation. And rather than letting the candidates sort of guide what their issues are in the ward, you want to base it upon questions and force the candidates onto different terrain. Am I getting that right? Maybe. I mean, so for the last election, yeah, we, we do ward profiles. And I remember sitting down in my office and thinking, okay, well, I know these are big issues that have been talked about at City Hall that I saw that really resonated with readers. So I think these are the ones that they care about and I can locate them geographically here. And that'll be an interesting way of covering the election. And fine. I think it had some, it was okay. Mm-hmm. But I think there's benefit even if, and I don't think it'll be true, but even if you go out to people and you talk to them and you and they submit insightful things and you're able to understand what's really at the heart of their question, even if after all that you get the same 13 like topics, there's still benefit to the fact that people are engaged in this process. They're asking you and they're waiting for the answers. And that also happens to give you even more ability to approach the candidates and say, hey, all these people just asked us this question. They really want to know about this. That gives you a lot more legitimacy when you're asking the question and expecting an answer than if you say, well, you know, I've been watching things and I think people are interested in this. So what do you think about this? A lot of this seems to me to reflect a lot like Aaron Sorkin's Newsroom, the HBO show that was Aaron Sorkin at his pretentious best. I can solve journalism by asking the high-minded questions and treating my news broadcast like a courtroom. And I think the counterpoint to that show was people like the drama, people like to keep up with the Kardashians, isn't the dumpster fire of an election coverage and people posting memes on Twitter half the fun and half the engagement for the audience. So how does this, which may be charitably described as telling people to eat their peas and learning (laughs) some real information, how does this compete with the sexiness of Twitter catfights? You know, there's still going to be Twitter catfights. You may watch (laughs) them all day. (laughs) And if you ask this other question because 
you know, there's something happening just down the road that you really care about as well, you can also check out what's actually happening on that issue down the road. You know, I think that there's probably room for both and cat fights are not going to go away. It's still September, over a year before the election, though only just over a year. And we're talking about setting up the people's agenda, opening up a forum for people to ask questions and refine questions, and let's start establishing what we want answered to the election. We pretty noticeably already have one person aggressively campaigning for mayor right now in Mike Nickel. And he has set the framework. He said, I'm sending a petition for photo radar. We need to freeze taxes. He is saying all the things you'd expect Mike Nickel to say. Nothing is new there. But he has framed his message and he's got his agenda laid out from the start and he doesn't veer from his talking points. How does something like this, where we're trying to ask nuanced questions that get beyond the talking points of candidates, how do you get under the surface and suss out those real answers when candidates may want to stick to their tired tropes the whole time? I think there's lots of ways that as a reporter, you can understand where somebody stands on an issue. I mean, with Mike Nickel, you can easily look at his voting record. You can look at the many, many interviews he's done over the years. There's there's lots of ways to know where he stands on an issue, if, if that's your question. People's Agenda, it's a project that you're on the steering committee. Are you going to have your fingers any deeper in? Are you going to be writing any stories? No. Um, so this doesn't really impact your work at the journal, because I assume when people hear, hey, Taproot, don't you already have a job with Postmedia? You're still solidly in your Postmedia corner at the journal. You're just helping out with some steering. I am full-time employed with Postmedia. I am grateful for the opportunity to be on the steering committee and loving the opportunity to learn more about an emerging field in journalism. I think it's it's just, it's great that I can kind of learn from both, actually. So speaking of learning, I think we have to cover, you were just in Switzerland for a year and the entire world was very different when you left. A year ago, everything was different. But I imagine you took away some learnings when... <laughs> Don't say learnings. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, learnings is a word that like came out of nowhere. All of a sudden it was just... Every bureaucrat in the city suddenly was talking about learnings. Do you know anything more about that word, where it comes from? Or did this literally come from, like, too many people sitting around a boardroom too long? I think I picked it up because I am constantly tuned into city council. So I've heard them say <laughs> learnings. You're right. What does it mean? It's taking... It's, I, anyways, that's a tangent. <laughs> Hey, Future Troy in the edit bay here. So while learnings does not have many uses before the 20th century, there are examples of talking about a learning as a countable noun in Shakespeare and comparable to teachings or findings, but this use was all very occasional. Around 2000, it became a buzzword in business speech, talking about key learnings or apply these learnings. And that's what Elise is talking about here. So... Go figure, the journalist did know, learnings is a garbage word, maybe don't use it. Back to the show, tangent over. So, having gone to Switzerland for a year, I'm sure there were some takeaways and some lessons that you might have learned about things that they might do differently or the same. What's coming back to Edmonton 
been your big realization of, oh, we can do this better or, oh, this is something that we do really well, having juxtaposed those two positions? Actually, this is exactly what I've been wrestling with as I try to write my first column because I'm, I'm reflecting on that. One thing that's quite different is their approach to COVID, um, not necessarily in terms of what they have done, what the health agencies have told them to do, and the, the lockdown is very similar and all that. Uh, but I definitely find a difference in tone among just the regular citizens. It feels like it's German culture, because I was in the German part of Switzerland. It feels like it's German culture to really not want to be uh, in any way seen as hysterical or, or over the top in your fear of this thing. You know, it's it's kind of the approach of, okay, these are the rules. Fine, I guess we have to wear masks, masks in the bus. We will all follow the rules, and then we will just carry on with our lives. It's a very calm sort of just do this sort of approach. There's fewer Costco freakouts over there is what you're saying. From what I've seen, yeah. I mean, I, I, it's hard because I, I don't read German. And so I've been, it, it's been a challenge following the local news. But based on my, on my interactions with other parents and, and friends in, in Zurich, it was a much, um, it's hard to pin it down, but just a difference in tone. In terms of the, the culture itself, I found one thing I struggled with was how the Swiss seemed to really uh, prioritize having the right thing, even if that is expensive. So I go to the, to the main department store to buy socks for my son, um, and I'm like shocked by the price. And then I flip them over and I'm like, oh, right, that's because these are organic, cotton, fair trade, right, everything that is definitely good, but that's why they cost so much. And housing, right? We paid, I think it was about, it was an insane amount for this one bedroom apartment, basement apartment that had walkout, which was great. But it was like $3,000 a month or something like that. It was insane. But it's, you know, it's a, it's nice. It was furnished. It was the only one we could get because it's very, very difficult to find housing there. But it's, it's very well done. Like it doesn't feel like anybody lives in a, in a slum there. It's all very right. <laughs> They would do it the right solution. Is Switzerland the country where every building is mandated to have the like bomb fallout shelter in the basement? Oh, yeah, that's I'm not sure if that's still the case, but definitely when you go into the basements, you see evidence of that. Getting back to the people's agenda for Taproot Edmonton, we have a website set up. It's www.taprootedmonton.ca slash people's dash agenda and Questions can be submitted there and they can start to frame the discussion. I think the question that's being asked right now is a fairly simple one. What do you want to hear the candidates talk about as they can be for votes in the 2021 municipal election? But like you said, this question isn't going to be the question. It's going to be a starting point to get the conversation going, correct? Yeah, exactly. Um, you get better answers when you ask a question. And when you listen to what the answer is, you can go deeper. You can seek to understand it understand what's really on people's minds. And for your work at the journal, you're setting up some sort of forum for discussion. Where can people go to find out more information and follow that and get involved as it begins? There's no specific place yet. A lot of the details are still in the works, uh, but obviously they can follow me on Twitter at eStolte, on Facebook, um, Elise Stolte, easy to find there. Um, and there'll be much more in the journal and on the website. It'll be a thing. Okay. Um, all of that obviously will be in the show notes, so you can do the clickety clicks down there. Um, I think 
that's about all that we have time for. Are there any closing thoughts, anything you want to say, any journalism peas you want to shove into people's mouths to tell them to read about before? Journalism peas? I hope not. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm just, I'm glad to be back and I'm excited about this. It's, I think it's going to be really fun. Yeah, we're very excited to have you back. We definitely appreciated a lot of your takes uh, before you disappeared onto sabbatical. And it was unfortunate because it wasn't just that someone came in and had worse takes than you. It's just for the couple months after you left, we were just absent the uh, city columnist role. And I think our city's a lot worse for it when we don't have someone with decades of beat reporting covering that beat. So we're very glad to have you back. And I think I speak for Mac when I say that. Thanks. Did you know that a chartered professional accountant, also known as a CPA, can handle more than just financials? They can even handle sending us the ad copy for this ad. Those three little letters mean that you're working with professional who is trained to make a difference in an organization. CPAs can bridge all areas of an organization, understand the ins and outs of your business, and bring a holistic view to problem solving. If you've never considered hiring a CPA to take your organization to the next level, What's stopping you? Let a CPA help you bounce back from these tough economic times. For an inside look at how Alberta's CPAs are supporting their clients through the pandemic, follow CPA Alberta on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. You can also visit cpaalberta.com to learn more. And that's all for this week. Remember that the public hearing for the city plan takes place next week, September 14th to 16th, and head on back over to episode 93 if you want to hear a conversation with Kaylin Anderson, the director of the city plan, about what all that means and what we can expect. Mac will be back next week, and I think we'll have more guests there. Uh, Until then, I'm Troy. And I'm Elise Stolte. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Municipally.